We are in the last days. I know that I have said that many times. I've said it in conversation. I've said it at the men's lunch. I've said it in Bible studies. I've preached it in this pulpit many times. We are in the last days. I truly believe, I honestly believe it is breathtakingly soon that the final sequence of the end times is going to begin to unfold in front of us, starting with the rapture of the church. We are in the last days. Well, the Bible says in these days that we can expect, in fact, I believe we're already seeing it, but that in these times, in the days we're living in, we can expect that the truth will be exchanged for a lie that right will be called wrong, and what is wrong will be celebrated as right. The Bible tells us that greed and materialism and and self-promotion will rule the hearts of men. If you want to know what motivates people, stuff and things and self-promotion will will corrupt our hearts. The Bible says that violence and, and aggression and hatred will mark the day, that it'll be marked by the absence of peace. And sometimes we think, well, that's got to be between nations. That's, that's also in churches. That's also in homes and in friendships. There's going to be the absence of peace, and that's, that's going to mark our day. The Bible says in these days that people will be liars. They'll have no problem just, just telling you a lie. They'll be gossips. They'll use their mouths to maliciously shred people to pieces. The Bible says there'll be problems in our homes and problems with our kids. Then the Bible says as Christians, on top of that, that that people are going to turn on us and they're going to reject us and they're going to hate us and they're going to persecute us. We saw last week some of them will be our closest friends. Some of them will even be our family members. The Bible says that we can expect trouble. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, but realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. That's, that's God's word. Realize it. Difficult times will come. And those are the days we are walking into. The question is, with that as the future, with that as our reality, what will we cling to as followers of Jesus Christ? With the hatred of the truth today, with the rise and the increasing rise of the false teacher, with the promotion and the acceptance of false teaching, what will be our foundation in these times? Where will we find our anchor in these times? The real question is, how are we ever to navigate times such as these? Really, it it seems so hopeless to us. How will we ever navigate these days? Listen to me, dear friend. God in his grace hasn't left us to our own devices. God in his power hasn't gone silent in our troubles. No, God in his wisdom has given us his word and his word still stands. Today we continue to look at our verses here in Luke chapter 21. And I'll just tell you, in these verses, it's a, it's a pretty deep set of verses. There's a lot that we, we could see. There's a bunch of different things that we could address there in those verses. But I want to pull out today something maybe that we've, we've never seen before, but something I believe is imperative to the times that we're living in, something that's imperative for us as Christians living in these days. And that is this. Our foundation in these days is the Word of God. We're in a section of verses that I have entitled The Times of the Signs. This is our third week 
in this section of verses. Today our verses are found in Luke chapter 21. Today verses 20 through 33. Today Luke chapter 21 verses 20 through 33. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 21 beginning here in the 20th verse. Jesus is speaking and he says this. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city, because these are days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword, and they will be led captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth dismay among nations, in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Behold, the fig tree and all the trees, as soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, Recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come today, we're thankful for our salvation. We just come and tell you, we're thankful that you think of us and thought of us and remembered us as sinners. We're thankful for Jesus Christ, our Lord, the perfect Lamb of God who was able to come and to redeem us, to pay the price, the debt of our sin. We're thankful for your character and your nature, that you are grace-giving, that you're faithful, that you're trustworthy, that you are love, sacrificing yourself for the betterment of others. So we come today and we truly worship you. I pray as, as we've been here today, as we've, as we've sung the, the hymns, as we've, as we've come and we've, and we've spent time in prayer, I pray that our eyes have been fixed upon you. And I pray now as we begin to study your word that you would now speak to your people, that you would lead your people, that we would leave here with a, with a different perspective, a different point of view, maybe renewed in it, but that we wouldn't leave the same. I pray Lord, that you would truly speak. I know it's your word. I pray that you be glorified in it. I pray if there's any in this room that do not know Christ, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We truly do worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Again, today, these are very detailed verses very interesting verses of the prophecy that Jesus himself speaks. And I think that's pretty interesting in and of itself. 
For sure, our verses today can be very complex, but I want you to, to understand today, and I want you to see this going in. I want us to kind of, of pull back today and see our truths from maybe a, a broader view of what is going on in this section of verses. Again, we could get very detailed. We could go back to Daniel. We could look at these prophecies, and that would be appropriate. But today, I want us to kind of step back, and I want us to see a view of what is going on here from maybe a broader perspective. Again, I believe Jesus is revealing much in these verses, but I also believe he is revealing our great truth today, and that is this. As these times come, as we walk into these days, the last days, as, as everything seems to be in chaos, as trouble and turmoil seem to rule the day, we can trust his word. We can turn to his word. In fact, the truth is we must turn to his word. I believe we're going to see that in our verses today. Today from our verses, we're going to see three things. We're going to see first... God's word is supernatural. Second, we're going to see God's word is trustworthy. And third, we're going to see God's word is permanent. Now, all of those things we need to understand headed into these final days. And so again, we're going to see his word is supernatural, his word is trustworthy, and his word is permanent. First, we're going to start off, God's word is supernatural. Let's begin looking at verse 20. But when you see, again, Jesus is speaking, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Now, verse 20 goes back to the original question that the disciples had asked. Remember, Jesus and his disciples are there at the temple. They're there at the temple grounds, and they are really just kind of watching the goings-on. He is using some things that he sees to teach them, but they're really there at the temple grounds, and he is just observing the goings-on. In verse 6, in that context, Jesus says, as they're looking at the grandeur of the temple, he says all of this, this magnificent temple, this, this great temple, it will be torn down. And he tells them not one stone will be left standing on top of another. Now understand, as they're sitting there, as they're seeing the temple itself, that is a ludicrous statement. That is an absurd statement. That is, a, that is an amazing statement that he would say, as you see this and they're in awe of it, this will all be torn down. Not one stone will be left standing upon another. And so their natural response, in verse 7 they ask, when will this happen? That's the natural thing. When will this happen? And what will be the sign? Then in our last two weeks, we see that Jesus uses that as a teaching opportunity. We go through those verses. Well, now here in verse 20, he goes back to the original subject. When will that happen? What will be the sign that that is going to happen? Now, I want you to listen very carefully to the account. Listen very closely to the account. Listen to each word that Jesus speaks. Listen to verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Verse 21. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountaintops, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city. Verse 22. 
because these are days of vengeance so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. All through the Old Testament, God tells about his wrath being held back from his people. He, he talks about the nation as they provoke him, as they are disobedient, that he is holding back his vengeance. Well, here in verse 22, Jesus says, these are days when God's vengeance is going to be known through these events. These are going to be days when, when God's wrath is going to be known through these events. Verse 22 again, because these are days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Listen to the words, verse 23. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people. Woe to those who are nursing, women who are pregnant, those that are need of extra care. He says there's going to be great distress upon the land. He says there's going to be wrath to this people. It means there's going to be anger shown to this people. Verse 24. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Sitting in the temple grounds, Jesus tells this account. Sitting there with these disciples, he tells of this account. The gospels record it. 37 years after this, his last week, 37 years after his death and his burial and his resurrection, 37 years after his ascension to heaven, in A.D. 70, Historians tell us, and they tell us this with great accuracy, secular historians tell us this, Jewish historians tell us this, in AD 70, the Roman Caesar Titus brought four legions of soldiers and they surrounded the city. There was three legions on one side, there was another legion that was on the entrance there by the Mount of Olives and they're perched there above the city. From there, they, they attacked the city, they come in and the historians tell us they came in with great anger. They weren't there to capture the city. Their orders were actually destroy the city, tear it apart, destroy the city. They come in with great anger. Historians tell us it was the week before the Passover. And so Jerusalem is full of all the Jews that had come there to celebrate. And the, and the account says the, the armies come down and they break through the gates and they're, they're successful in getting a foothold and then they, they're able to divide the city into two groups and then they start, they continue the siege there. The Jewish historian Josephus says that they savagely killed the old, the women, the kids, and the men, no mercy. They weren't there for prisoners. They weren't there to take over the city. They savagely killed those folks. 1,100,000, Josephus says, Jews were killed in this siege. Listen to this, one city, 1,100,000 people savagely killed in this siege. Listen to verse 23 now. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress upon the land and wrath, anger to this people. Josephus tells us, that historian tells us, 
that 97,000 were captured and they were led away as slaves. Many of them were used and were, and, and were treated as gladiators and were killed later in the Roman Colosseums. Listen to verse 24. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Josephus records that one of the last feats of the siege was the siege of the temple. And they came to the temple and they brought their battering rams and they began to beat on the walls of the, of the, of the wall there outside and they began to beat on the doors of that. They're not having much luck and then somebody throws a, a, a flaming stick up there and they burn the walls down. They're making it into the temple and their order again is to destroy the temple. Do not preserve it. Destroy the temple. 1,900 years later, where it stood today, is still a testimony to this truth. Now, surely there's a lot there. We could, we could look at it. Surely there's a lot there in the prophecy, and we could break it down, and that, that would be important. But, but see this. I want you to see this today. Here's, here's the perspective I want us to gain today. Be sure and see this. 37 years before this event, Jesus carefully and clearly foretold of this event. Jesus knew what nobody could have known. Jesus foretold and it's recorded what nobody could have told. See this, get this today. Jesus is establishing again as he promises these days and the trials that will go with them. Jesus is establishing before he goes to the cross of Calvary. Jesus is establishing before he ascends to heaven. He is making it very clear here. The word of God is not normal. It is not natural. It is not ordinary but the word of God is supernatural. Listen to me today in 2018. We need to regain that today. We need to embrace that today. Listen, the word of God is supernatural. We hold the living and active word of God. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It is powerful because the one that gives it to us is all-powerful. It is the truth because the one that gives it to us is the truth. It is supernaturally wise because the one that gives it to us is infinite in his wisdom. And as Christians, we need to uphold today that today. No, it's not a book of moral fables. No, it's not a book of religious antiquity. No, it's not a book of outdated advice. It is the very word of our living God and it is supernatural. Think about the context here. Jesus doesn't have to tell them that. You see, it would have happened whether they knew it or not. But he does it so we can see his word is supernatural. You see that? He didn't have to tell them 37 years they're going to come and they're going to besiege the city. He doesn't have to tell them that. He does it so that we can look back and say, pinpoint, not a word was wrong. And the word of God is supernatural. 
Let me tell you today, friend, in these days when human logic is opposed to the word of God, when the institutions of higher learning are opposed to the truth of the word of God, when the popular culture today downplays and ridicules the word of God, the followers of Jesus Christ need to stand up and say, these are the words of our God and it is supernatural because he is. So the first thing Jesus makes clear on his way to the cross is the word of God is supernatural. Second thing we see, and it is big in our day, for our day. This is a big truth for us to see in these end times. There's an attack on it in the days in which we're living. The second thing we need to see, it's big today. Listen to me. The second thing we need to see today is this. The word of God is trustworthy. The word of God, listen, is trustworthy. I'm gonna start in verse 22. Remember in verse 22, listen to this. Because these are days of vengeance, now listen, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Jesus starts off and he says these things are going to happen validating, confirming, fulfilling the word of God. That's what verse 22 says. These things are going to take place. I'm telling you 37 years ahead of time, but they're going to take place confirming, validating the word of God. Folks, be sure today, understand today, Jesus is revealing here Not one promise of the word of God has proven false or will it ever. Did you hear that? Not one word, not one word of the promise of God, not one word of his word has ever proven false or will it ever, friend, you can take it to the bank. Jesus, hours before the cross, confirms it. Just concerning Christ, think about this. Genesis chapter three, verse 15 says, he'll be born of the seed of a woman. The Messiah, the Savior, will be born in the seed of a woman. Galatians 4, 4 says, In the fullness of time he was brought forth, born of a woman. Not one word has failed. In Isaiah 7, 14, it says he'll be born of a virgin. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, it says that Jesus is born of a virgin and Joseph kept her as such. Not one word has failed. Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, it says he would be the seed of Abraham. When you go to Matthew chapter one, verse one, it says this is the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Not one word has failed. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse five, says that he would be the seed of David. Go to Luke chapter three, verse 34, and it says, Boaz, whose son was Obed, whose son was Jesse, whose son was David. He is the seed of David. Not one word has failed. Micah chapter five, verse two says he's born in Bethlehem. He would be born in Bethlehem. Luke chapter two says this. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Not one word has failed. And I could go on and on, but Jesus is pointing out here, not one word has failed. It has all come to pass. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10 says, he declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not 
been done. Listen, the word of God is trustworthy. Jesus is making it clear here, right before the cross, the word of God is trustworthy. Now stay with me. In verses 20 through 24, he foretold of the siege of Jerusalem. In verses 25 through 28, he is foretelling of his second coming. Now stay with me. Listen very carefully. That first set of verses, 20 through 24, he's telling of the events that are going to happen, the siege of Jerusalem. Now in verses 25 through 28, he is foretelling of his second coming. Let's start in verse 25. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. Verse 25 says there's going to be crazy signs, drastic supernatural signs. The the people are going to be dismayed. There's going to be signs, and they're not going to understand it. They're going to be perplexed. They're not going to know what to think. Verse 26, men fainting from fear and the expectations of things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. It says there's going to be signs and the, and the signs are going to be so so tremendous, so magnificent that the people are going to faint in fear. When I read that verse, I think about the mountain that, that Moses was there upon it and, and he met with God and it said the mountain itself trembled. Remember the account? And smoke covered the mountain and the, the people had to back away. They couldn't, get, they couldn't get close to the mountain and the, the thunder pealed and the, and the thunder clapped and the mountain is shaking and the people shook in fear and they fell down in fear. Oh, these signs are going to be so tremendous. They're going, to, they're going to fall down in their fear. Verse 27. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Sounds like folklore, doesn't it? Sounds like a superstition, doesn't it? There's a whole sermon right there. Look at that. Actually coming on a cloud in power and glory is the Son of Man, Jesus of Christ. And as sure as Jerusalem is destroyed, and as sure as you can go see it today, it's going to happen. There's a whole sermon right there. I'm not going to go there. What a sight. What a sight. Listen to verse 28. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads. It actually means a change of countenance. You who are beaten down, you who are weary, you who are tired. When these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. See this. He tells of this first event and 37 years later it happens in pinpoint accuracy they surround the city pinpoint accuracy not a word of it has failed and then he tells of this latter event the second coming of Christ on a cloud in power and great glory. Now, I see this today. It's, it's really pretty good. It's really pretty awesome. See this. Hear this today. Listen to me. Listen. Here's the point. The fulfilled prophecies of the past 
substantiate the promised prophecies of the future. Do you understand? This is the most awesome thing I think of this sermon. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's about to go to the cross and he wants this to be understood. The fulfilled promises of the past, they validate, they they substantiate, they authenticate the promised prophecies of the future. Do you see what he is revealing here? Jesus is saying this, my word is trustworthy. My word has always been trustworthy. You can trust it in the past. You can look back and see where it's trustworthy. And so you can know my word is trustworthy in the future. He is saying here, the word of God is trustworthy. He goes on. Verse 29, then he told them in a parable, behold, the fig tree and all the trees. He says here, the other gospel accounts just talk about the fig tree. Luke records it here. The fig tree, in fact, look at all the trees. Look at the fig tree. In fact, look at all of them while you're at it. Verse 30, listen to the words. As soon as, As they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. Now, I want you to listen to the parable. Look at the trees, all of them, the fig trees, all of them. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. See it again here. Jesus is saying every time you see a tree, every every time you see a tree and the tree begins to bud and out of that bud comes a sprig and later out of that sprig comes and it unrolls a leaf. It has never failed. Not once has it ever failed. You know summer is coming. He's saying, now think about it here. Every time you've seen that bud and every time a sprig has come out of it and every time a leaf has unfolded out of that, you have known that summer is coming and has never failed. In the same way, these fulfilled prophecies of the past show that you can trust my word in the future. And as Jesus prepares for the cross, as Jesus prepares to leave and ascend to glory, as Jesus knows that the wolves are coming as Jesus knows the days in which we live in he says the word of God is trustworthy and you can take it to the bank oh in 2018 we need the assurance of that 2018 we need need to know that we need to have that hammered out and driven down in a stake we need to know the testimony of Jesus the word of God is trustworthy Do we understand that, church? The word of God is trustworthy. I heard a sermon by a vastly popular Bible teacher. I won't say his name, but Charles Stanley is his dad, and I think he goes by Andy. He said this. Now, I want you to listen. He said, I can't tie everything to the Bible or to parts of the Bible because if you disprove them, you disprove Jesus. Now, he was specifically talking about the the account of Adam and Eve, and he actually says, I can't stake everything 
on a literal Adam and Eve because if you disprove them, then you disprove Jesus. Now, listen, that sounds logical. I understand what he's trying to do here. I understand his thought process, but here is the problem that he's having. Here is what he is missing. Listen to me. These are the words of God. These, listen, these are the words of God. All of them are the words of God. And as such, it reveals to us the character of God. And I want you to understand today, if he lied to us about the first Adam, why do I care what he has to say about the second Adam, Jesus? And if he lied to us about speaking creation in six days, why would I trust him in redeeming it in three days? And if I can't trust him in Eden, I'll not trust him in Calvary, and that is Satan's plan but hours before that terrible hill, Jesus says the word of God is trustworthy. I pulled up a picture of the temple yesterday on my computer. Never been there. And you can see the rubble. And you can see the piles of stones that lay there in ruin. And I looked there at those pictures. And I stepped back off of my desk. And I prayed, praise Jesus, he is coming again. Not one word has failed. Not one word. Listen, the word of God is trustworthy. School doesn't teach that. Science is not going to come along and say, well, this is what we've decided. The word of God's trustworthy. Listen, we have to believe that as far as of Jesus Christ. These are the words of God. These are the words of God. And revealed in it is his character. He's not a liar. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. And so is his word. The word of God is trustworthy. And the last thing we see is this. The word of God is permanent. The word of God, oh, listen, the word of God is permanent. Verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Do you know much today that is permanent? I think about marriages that I thought would never fail. Would have bet everything on them. They've ended in divorce. I've watched estates that they could never be squandered. They're so big, they're so prudent in it, they'll never be squandered. And I've watched them as they end in bankruptcy. I've watched friends that would never turn. No, not them. And I've seen them walk away. Do you know much today that is permanent? Jesus says, standing not that far from the cross, his word is is permanent. It does not shift. It does not change. It doesn't need to be updated. It doesn't need to be added to. Listen, the times they change the word of God, it doesn't. The culture, it changes the word of God, it doesn't. Science, it changes, it changes every day. But the word of God, it does not change. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers, The flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever.
His word is permanent. His word is supernatural. His word is trustworthy. His word is permanent. Here's the question as we wrap this up today. Why does it matter? Why does it matter? Why does it matter? Why take such a hard stance? Why say that this is the word of God and defend it as such? Why does it matter? Why does Jesus come and establish it so solidly before he goes to the cross? Surely hours before the cross, he had something else to talk about. Why does he come and hammer this down that many hours from the cross? Why does it matter? Why does it matter? Listen to me. It is because after his ascension and after the death of these apostles, the word of God is going to be how we know him. Listen, we can't know him apart from the word of God. The word of God is going to be how we hear from him. Oh, that I would hear from God. I hear through him through his word. But more than that, listen to me. The word of God is how we find him. The word of God is how we're saved. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Listen to me. That's why he stayed on his word. That's why he says you can take it to the bank. That's why he says it is supernatural. That is why he says it's trustworthy. That is why he says it is permanent. It doesn't shift. It doesn't change. It is how we're saved by the word of God. So sitting in the courtyard he confirms it before he goes to the cross. The word of God is trustworthy. Let's pray. Dear me, Father, we come today. And I'm thankful for you. And I'm thankful for your grace. And I'm thankful for your mercy. Make no mistake, the object of my worship is my Lord and my Savior, Jesus. But I'm so thankful for his word. Because in his word, he tells us his power. He tells us of his holiness. He tells us of his character. He tells us of his majesty. More than that, we we read and we learn of his grace and his love. We hear about Jesus. And then in knowing Jesus, by faith in him, we're saved. A sinner is redeemed. And then in the days until you come again, you tell us how to navigate these times. Tough times, terrible times. You give us the witness of your word. Lord, I pray that we would take it to heart. I pray that we would read it, we would study it, we'd crave to be where it's taught. We couldn't find anything better to do, Lord. Change our hearts. And then let us be agents of your word, ambassadors of the good news that's in it. Let us lead many people to Christ by faith in Jesus. Let us explain him through your word. Lord, I come and I pray right now that you've encouraged us, that you've convicted us. I pray for some in this room that do not know Jesus Christ, that that as they hear the preached word of God, that that today might be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray this time of invitation that you would freely move and freely work. You would freely speak. And I pray that in all this, all the glory goes to you. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. We thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.